Eat, Sleep, Shoot, Repeat is an independent podcast. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I know like a lot of my friends, you know, the first thing they do is run to their mum to tell them that the X, Y and Z's happened. Like I've never had that relationship before. Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Shit, Repeat, the podcast all about the madness that is motherhood. I am Kelly McCarran. I'm a podcaster, writer, content creator, marketing consultant, and overwhelmingly unhinged human. I'm also the mother to my exceptionally busy little boy, Lenny, who is in the hilarious yet terrifying between baby and toddler stage. And I'm Ki Reese. I'm an audio strategist, a podcaster, a content creator, and also mum to little baby Rue, who, well, she isn't so little anymore. She's now 16 months, but she's also in that stage. And my God, how intense are the feelings? They're a lot. <laughs> and we could actually do an entire episode about their feelings and just how unhinged and irrational they are, which I think is part of why it's so funny, because you're like, I just, I gave you what you asked me for. I just always laugh. Yeah. I always laugh. And I'm like, don't laugh right now. This is serious. Like they she cannot to be stand on the glass at. table right now. It's really dangerous. And then I'm just like, get, get, get off that table. Get off. <laughs> this morning I was like, stop trying to poke me in the vagina, okay, please. <laughs> I, but I was trying not to laugh because then that would just set him off. We might make another episode just about feelings because I think that a lot of people would have many funnier story to contribute. Yeah, big feelings, little people. I like that. ESSR, which is the worst acronym, but it's what we have to go with. We're rolling with it. <laughs> it is a podcast about unhinged mum stuff from two new mums. Oh, we're not that new anymore, are we? Desperately trying to survive. This is your virtual mums group for your ears, a judgment and shame-free zone where we sometimes give advice questionable advice talk to experts and other parents but mostly we just complain about being tired and we always offer the support and solidarity that people need key could you give us all a bit of a tldr of season one what you didn't listen to season one well you better go back now and listen to it okay so i actually didn't listen to some episodes because i can't stand the sound of my own voice well i did because i was the one that edited yeah you had to i made i had to i had to well we chatted about everything you need when you have a baby also birth how to feed the small little hungry humans we talked about mental health which was such a good episode sex Baby. Wow, wow, or lack thereof. In my case, and let's just say, if anyone was interested in a little update on how that's going, it's there's no improvement. What about you? You getting any more? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Charlie is back into it. I think he heard the episode and was like, I need to lift my game. <laughs> I got to lift something. I got to lift something over here. Um, and we also touched on sleep, which was, I think it's the biggest topic. It's all consuming mm. in the fourth trimester, so that first newborn stage. What episode was your fave? Um, I think the feeding episode and the mental health were both tied for me. Mm. I loved the mental health episode. I just think the guest that we had on Megan was so brilliant. Um, but then I also loved Sarah's story as well. And I also loved that we both got to talk about our experiences. So those two were my top. What about you? Oh, I don't know. I'm sick of talking about those topics at this point. Fair. I liked sleep as well. Yeah, I liked all of them except the list because I just don't care anymore. However, it's very helpful. helpful. And all of the new mums like in my friendship groups are like, we've listened to that episode so many times, Kelly. Exactly. We're making content for other people. I know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It might be boring to you, but it might be helpful to someone else. It's so funny. Even when we have planning meetings about this, sometimes Key has to like talk me into things because I'll be like, nah boring and she's like well it's not and we could try to have a fun conversation about it you it's our job to make it interesting okay? yeah exactly but there's me just bing bonging around that is enough about season one if you did happen to miss it or you'd like to go back and listen again please do it Ooh, i mean yeah. it was amazing I the feedback was just incredible. That's why we're doing this. This is now my full time job. Yeah. Oh, it actually is. <laughs> yes. <gasps> Guys, please listen. <laughs> Feeding Rue now please. depends on it. <laughs> yeah. Whether she gets fed this week, it's up to you guys. <laughs> But let's get into season two. So we're going to kick things off this season with a very interesting discussion around funny family dynamics, except not funny in like, ha ha, but more funny in like, ha 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 ha. 
He bought tissues. Um, <laughs> I, did. I did. They're right here. Ooh, ASMR. Yes. Get ready to cry your tits off. I don't know why I just like made a purring noise. My ASMR <laughs> was a brr. It is sexual ASMR. <laughs> no, it's not. I think it is when people speak so softly and they're like, now relax. I'm like, ooh. Okay, I find it meditative, not sexual at all. But also, let's once again, that probably says a lot about my lack of fanny flutters. Well, in that first year of your baby's life, you do imagine having your family to lean on as much as possible. But what if they're not as helpful as they promised or as helpful as you anticipated they would be? So later in the ep, we're chatting with a shitter. We need really to come need up to with something on better this than better. that. From <laughs> New Zealand, a dear, dear friend of mine, Elle Crisp. She has a really interesting story. She is a mum of twins. It's a great story and really suits this topic. But first, Key Reese, oh we're God. going to hear from you. Key has not spoken about this uh, publicly before. It's very private and she's quite private so I don't know how I managed to wrangle her to get to talk about this but I think it's really important yeah it was years into our friendship that I even knew that you were estranged from your parents and I've never really heard the full story because it's something that I don't know you don't really want to press something that's a really sensitive topic to yeah. people well you don't want to dig around in someone's childhood trauma it's a, exactly it's a, it's tricky. unless it's they a tricky offer thing. it up Totally. You want to be respectful of that. And in that case, I'm like, oh, tell me more. Yeah. She has kindly agreed to open up today and it. I think it's going to help a lot of people because it isn't as uncommon as people think mm-hmm. and it's something that no one ever talks about. And, yeah, so, Key Reese, please take the floor. Tell us about being estranged from your parents. It's a real heavy, heavy topic. It's and- very heavy. Um, I do. The thing is, is like I don't talk about it often. Um, I've never really talked about it in depth and depth. But whenever I have spoken about it, I get so many messages. So just to your point about it being more common than you think, it's so common. And sometimes it's not as like drastic as my story. Sometimes it can just be tricky dynamics, thinking of going like contactless or, or having estrangement. So I'm not excited is like a weird word to talk about it. But I think it's like anytime you can talk about something that is going to make someone feel like they're not a less alone exactly less alone and seen well the crux of it is is that I had a very young mum how young was she when she had you so she was pregnant at 18 and had me at 19 and she and my father were together before that and then they divorced uh, when I was one so they were married even younger than 18 then yeah I think they got married maybe just before okay um I was born and they obviously, yeah, they got divorced when I was one. So, and for various reasons, my dad just wasn't around. He he moved away. And my mum just didn't really thrive with the responsibility of having a child. Now, Well, you've said that she didn't want to be a mum, basically. I don't think so. Like, I don't know if she would personally say that, but for me, it's like, I don't think that she did. And I think that that is not a feeling that is exclusive to her. I think a lot of women have children and then have some regret over it. It's just unfortunate that the collateral damage in that making a bad decision is a person who has to then navigate life with that kind of trauma from such a young age. So I was really lucky in that I had my grandparents, so my my maternal grandparents who are now, have actually passed away now, but – they, um, so my mum was one of six and they basically just scooped me up and I became their seventh child. So we lived with them together. I lived with them away from my mum for a long period of time. And basically they really took on the brunt of the responsibility of raising me. And I ended up living with them primarily. Do you remember, like when you're thinking back to your childhood, do you remember thinking where is my dad and why does my – like what do you think of when you think of your childhood? It's funny, isn't it? Because I distinctly remember being a really happy child and I didn't really understand how weird it was to be living with your grandparents and not really have – having any contact with your dad and, you know, like not having a mum. I, I frame it more of like she was more of like an older sister. 
you know, okay. like in the picture somewhat for, for a certain, for a little bit of amount of time. And then, and then me just being with my grandparents, but yeah, I was a, I was a really happy child, but I was also really angry. And I think that I didn't really understand why I was angry, but now looking back, it was obviously because I was just felt like I wasn't on some level, I knew that I wasn't getting the love that I needed from a, a, a maternal person, even though my nana was fantastic. But there was this one moment which all of that changed. And I kind of, I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. I think it, I almost think it was a bad thing because I went to a doctor maybe when I was like 15 or maybe a bit younger, maybe like 14 and something had happened and I was talking to them and I was just feeling a bit, you know, not great. And I and they were like, oh, explain, like, tell me about your family. And I explained everything. They were like, oh, like you seem pretty normal considering everything that's happened to you. And that's when the cogs started, I think, to turn. And also, I moved schools. You're like, thanks, I guess. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> I guess. I also moved schools and like, you know, a new girl coming, making new friends. A lot of these girlfriends already had inbuilt relationships. People knew their parents, and then it was kind of like, so where are your parents? Oh, your your mum lives in a different country. Oh, and you kind of pick up on people's long pauses and ahs and then you're kind of like, oh, that is strange. Or just not as common as, you know, when you're growing up with people, they generally have like either both parents at home or or one. One. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, no, no, I've got my grandparents. Yeah, no. And I was like, yeah, I've got my grandparents. Like I didn't think it was that strange, but I think the older I got, the more aware I was that it it was quite Mm. different. So did your grandparents me. ask your mum to move elsewhere or she chose to? No, she chose to. That Away was the from you. That she made, yeah, yeah. And was she in contact with you? Yeah, she was always in contact with me. It's big of her. It was, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm not going to put my judgy pants on. I'm yeah, look, here. and I want to also preface this with like, I'm speaking about my experience. I'm sure if she would speak about her experience, there would be things that happened that I'm not aware of that led to various decisions that were made. And I think that, you know, if I look at who I was in my 20s and had I had a baby then, I'm sure – no, I'm not going to say that because I'm an amazing mum. So, But, like, I just want to also give a little bit of grace because I don't want it to be like a pile-on thing. It's just me and my experience. Yeah, exactly. And I think that your therapist has done a great job. (laughs) Shout out to my girl. She does listen to some of my stuff, so hopefully she's listening to this. I see you, Doc. I didn't think they would be allowed to do that. Sorry, side note, that doesn't that's not part of anything. It's probably not. I don't even know. Hopefully she doesn't get in trouble. <laughs> okay, so she your mum moves to another country, you're living with your grandparents and people at school are like, "Oh," and then the doctor's like, "Oh." Yeah. When did you make a decision because you're not in any contact with your mum at this point? Yeah. No, well, okay. So my I lived full-time full-time with my grandparents, um like officially as in like she wasn't in the country when I was like 12 or 13 and that's a your formative like that's the it's formative yeah it's rough it's rough there's a lot of stuff happening but we would talk on the phone Mm. often and it was it was it wasn't a bad relationship it was just a very weird it was it was it wasn't weird either it wasn't it just wasn't conventional and it wasn't the maternal and maternal relationship there emotionally was it more like you would speak to her like a big sister on the phone? Yeah, and it's kind of surface level emotion. Like mm. I could never talk – I never knew to talk about things that were bothering me. It was just like, hey, how are you? Good, blah, blah, blah. It was just like very surface level, you know. It wasn't like – I know like a lot of my friends, you know, the first thing they do is run to their mum to tell them that the X, Y, and Z's happened. Like I've never had that relationship before. I've never had anyone – not even my nana, you know, because you got to think like – two generations between us also Irish Catholic family Mm. it's very like emotions weren't like widely spoken about she was a beautiful woman and did and like I loved my childhood with them but that kind of relationship was never there and and maybe that's also kind of why that wasn't there with my mum and I because she had obviously had that but her childhood from from what I've heard was pretty good (laughs) God, what did you used to ask her? Like, hey, when are you coming home? Or like, no, would you say to your grandparents? It Why? was pretty final. It was just, it was pretty final. And I just didn't, and also like I did say that I wanted to stay because I didn't really want to move schools. 
at that age. Like, and I didn't want to move to a different country. And I had really lived with my grandparents a lot over the Mm. years. And prior to her, you know, being in Australia with us, like I had lived with them. So for me, it was kind of like, well, I'm giving up the one thing that is the stability that I have to move somewhere else. And it's like, you know, because she got remarried and I like wasn't really, I hadn't met this person and I don't really want to, it was just, so I also had, I mean, I'm sure she was kind of glad that I didn't want to come, but like I did have a say in it. And she it probably like, would have pushed you more and made you if she, well, yeah. Because you yeah. were a, a minor. So. Yeah, exactly. Lenny, um, Lenny would so, not have a choice. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> You're a child, you shouldn't have a choice in the situation is what the lesson in that is. But yeah, so we had pretty much like that kind of contact because she never moved back after that all throughout my teen years all throughout my 20s and it was from the age of about 27 I had kind of flirted with the idea of going no contact and really kind of drawing a line in the sand and like really having firm boundaries because it was very hard for me to continuously seek a relationship with someone, a maternal relationship with someone and try to have that relationship when that was actually never going to be a reality for me. So I needed to try and understand that that person isn't the person that I need them to be and that I'm actually better off separating myself from that person. And and it's, it's hard for people to understand, but I've never looked back. Like I've, I've been so much happier since. It's still sad. Like it makes me sad, of course. Like I'm currently planning my wedding and I think that like what I've realised is like it's really hard not to have like a built-in sounding board of someone that you can just always call to help you make stupid decisions. Mm. And I have amazing friends but like – It's not the same thing. And they also now have their own families. Like Mm. it's like, oh, my 30-year-old, 5-year-old friend is like calling me to be like, hey, do you think – this xyz for my wedding like they have like three kids that they need to put to bed and luckily you know that friend did answer the other night and she got out of doing bedtime so I feel like that was kind of fair (laughs) so she was actually like I would much rather talk to you on the phone yeah exactly so it's it is difficult like on that note how does it make you feel when you see other people with their parents or talking about their parents and is it really frustrating when you hear people bitching about their parents (laughs) Look, it doesn't it doesn't make me sad because I've paid a lot of money to someone to help me understand mm. that it's not my fault and that there's actually nothing I could do to change that. It doesn't make me sad, it just makes me want to do better. Yeah. So I'm lucky in that I have amazing friends and an amazing partner that, that I can sub in in a way. But of course, like I think Less so now that I'm a mum and have my own family because that is my kind of special place where I get to be a a mum to rue and have those experiences. But it is hard to miss out on something that is somewhat of a universal experience. Yeah. You know, it's difficult. I'll be in a – just hanging out with my girlfriends and it'll be like, how funny are mums? And I'm like, I wouldn't know. (laughs) Or like, ugh, mum's so annoying. She's doing X, Y, Z. Stop calling me. And I'm like, well, at least you have a mum. Must be nice. (laughs) So I think like, yeah, it's it's taken me a long time to get there, but it's better since having a baby for sure. But how did you reconcile that? Like were you worried when you had a baby? Oh, yeah. I was like, I knew I was always going to have a girl. Yeah. Because I knew that your universe loves to give me challenges, but everything in me willed a boy. <laughs> and when the lady on the phone said, it's a girl. Are you told on the phone as well? Oh, yeah. They All just call you and they're like, it's a girl. Congratulations. Everyone in our lives is just so theatrical that they're like, put it on a piece of paper and then I'm taking it to a cake <laughs> shop. Both you and I like, just tell me over the phone. It was, I had it on loudspeaker and we were like, woo. It was actually kind of cool. I was like, I wish I had that person's job. But I really, really wanted a boy first so that I didn't have to have this added pressure of having the mother-daughter relationship thing always wanted hanging over my head and like not fucking it up kind of thing I think we all know that we're all going to fuck our kids up oh a little bit yeah yeah but you're also going to give her all of the love and support because you're such a good mum 
Thank you. I really pride myself. I don't know on who that. you learnt it off because. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> your I grandparents. Think when your grand, my grandparents for sure. But I think when you spend years thinking about this like mystical mother daughter relationship and wanting it so badly, you kind of learn what you need, and that's why I think. In some ways, it's obviously because Rue is a pretty happy, easy baby. But I think in some ways, because of the intensity of my experience, I also know that a lot of things don't matter. Mm, Yeah. You know, I give myself a lot of grace on things that don't matter because I know at the end of the day, I'm there when she needs me. I feed her, I bathe her, I hug her, I love her. She's a lucky, lucky girl. Would you say that because you don't have your own immediate family to fall back on like obviously I sort of I don't really call my mum about things with Len but I've got her there but my sister I say I go to her for everything yeah would you say that that is one of the reasons why you are so bonded with your mother's group and have enjoyed that experience so much because they've almost become your family in some ways oh definitely I think I think that I sought out the support system that I needed Mm. and we we're all just kind of we all have our own things you know there's all all of us have our own things like some of them live away from their their family because they're expats some of them parents have passed away and other of them are like you know from Sydney and have their family but we're all kind of in it together and supportive of each other and this we actually went away together and we did this like cute little weekend away when the kids had just turned one so there's six couples, six kids. I remember no one got sick and you were like, how? I know. And then they all got sick after. They of course all they did. They all like shared germs for a weekend. <laughs> but it was awesome. We got to have our weekend away and it was so much fun. But, you know, I do my parenting peak and pits yeah. each week on my stories. And we started actually doing it each week in Mother's Group when we met up. So we'd just do it like just with us every Wednesday. That's so like, cute. What's, and it would just help us kind of talk about how happy, sad, bad, glad we were about the week that Mm. just gone and on our last night at this getaway we were like let's all go around so it was like the mums the dads kids were asleep thank god one was one was still up um saying our peak and pits for the first 12 months and I was like oh what's mine gonna be my peak was obviously that like Rue was in hospital so much very intense very scary and intense oh that was my pit sorry sorry that was my pit but my peak was that I, the only thing I've ever been certain of is that I'm a good mum. It's the only thing I've said in my head. It's the only thing I've said out loud. Like if someone said, are you good at your job? Everyone has has doubts, you know, like I could do a bit It better. also is a bit subjective sometimes. Yeah. But my job as a mum is the only thing I have ever felt deeply that I knew how to do instantly, that connected with me straight away, that I just felt able to do and never questioned anything. How did you get there though? For anyone listening that's like, because I know people that aren't even estranged from their parents, but they have really funny relationships with them. Maybe they need to estrange themselves for their own (laughs) mental health. And they are terrified of becoming a parent because they don't want the same patterns that they grew up with to be passed on down to their children. Do you think that it's all of the work that you've done with your therapist prior? Uh, Yeah, I think so. And I'm also, I think it's a personality thing. Like I'm a person that's really open to that kind of treatment. I don't think it necessarily works for everyone or everyone has enough, not courage, but enough belief in it that it will work. And it's also finding the right therapist to get you through Mm. that. But yeah, I think that it was the work that I did. After my grandfather died, I found this psychologist and I, I saw her and I, I still see her now. Just sorry to interrupt, but just to like reinforce that Key's grandparents brought her up. So she lost them far too young for her yeah. parental figures. Like, yeah. you know, most people lose their grandparents where I'm so lucky that I've still got one grandparent, yeah. which is normal in your 20s or 30s or even younger, but losing your parental figures young. That's hard. Both of them as well. Like that's really rough. It Um, just sucks because they don't get to see me as a mum. That's the thing that sucks about it. 
because they would be so proud. And they're obsessed with kids. Like they would have loved Ruth. They never got to meet Charlie. They would have oh. loved Charlie. Charlie's literally my granddad. Well, they're carbon copies of but- each other. <laughs> <laughs> I swear. You're marrying your grandfather. Personality-wise, they are literally – like he would have just been like – because his his number one thing was like, you know, like on his deathbed, he was just like so concerned about like who would look after me like when he wasn't there. So that, you know, I didn't want him to like die worrying about mm. that. So I don't know what I believe in though. Like – I'm very what's the word agnostic when you believe that there's something but not yeah I'm not an atheist yeah so I don't know what I believe in but I really really don't believe that people just the souls just disappear no so I do think that wherever they are that they would be so proud yeah. and it makes it more incredible because of your upbringing of how amazing you are as a mother because yeah. you don't like you would be so excused to be like Okay, you really shouldn't be doing that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you don't have a good reference point, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. All of it is so just intuitive for you. Yeah. And I just think that is something that you should be so proud of. And your grandparents would just be like, whoa, we did a really great job at grandparenting. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it took a while to get there. Like, I was wild as a teenager. I kind of and wish I'd met you as a kid because <laughs> I would have been me. a wild bit of gear to hang out with. Just you to. Know? But I don't think – I think if you had have asked a lot of my friends' parents, like, would I be where I am now? They, like, thought I was, like, so naughty. I mean, we were quite naughty when we were teenagers. But I was wild and I didn't follow the formula of what you should do and I just kind of went with the wind. But what it allowed me to do was to kind of just figure out who I was because I didn't really have any sense of that growing up because I was so – I was an only child. My grandparents were older, so of course they were looking after me, but we weren't like hanging out. I was like doing my own thing by myself. So I spent so much time by myself and I just didn't really have, I didn't really have experiences, I guess. So and I people and around, people yeah. around me. Like I remember being very lonely, very lonely and just wishing that I had a sibling because we'd, at least we'd be in it together. Yeah. At least we'd have each other, you know, like, and that's why I'm so desperate to give Rue a sibling because that's just something I've always have been like, it has to be at least two mm. because they need to have each other. And if they don't like each other, I'm going to lock them in a room until they're like They'll each like other. each other eventually. They exactly. might not like each other as kids. Like me and my sister hated each other. Yeah. We used to so literally fun. physically fight all the time. Yeah. Hated and that's just other. growing up. Like that's normal. So normal. Talk to me about parenting without parents. So without a parental reference point, like what did you know immediately apart from like, sticking around and wanting to parent (laughs) what did you go into it thinking differently I wasn't aware of like how instinctual it would be like how and I'm aware this isn't for everyone but for me it was like I just kind of knew what to do, like things. And a lot of it's problem solving, right? Even though Kelly McCarran, you think I'm not a problem solver. Well, you problem solve some things. I just (laughs) – Things I really care about I problem solve. I don't – yeah, I don't – it's just like things like when we were trying to set these mics up, she goes, oh, they don't fit. And I'm like, or we just turn it around the other side. (laughs) Like I just think with some things, maybe it's really small things that you just don't care about, but you just go, oh, Yes, it won't work. <laughs> yes, it won't work. We'll have to just record again in two weeks' time. Yes. Well, luckily, it wasn't like that for parenting. <laughs> but I just kind oh, of just doesn't work. <laughs> just doesn't work. I'm gonna throw her back. Is that okay? But swap it, her for another one at the hospital. Yeah, an easier one is the one there. Um, no, I just felt this kind of deep connection, and also I think because I was like, it's my baby. Like, I can do what I want. Yeah, I made her. I made her. I know what's best for her. Like, I've grown her. And that was, yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that stuck out. Even in the early days, like, I feel like a lot of women talk about being, and don't get me wrong, I was very overwhelmed, but I always kind of, and I also had a very easy baby. So just I'm giving lots of context. I never want to talk about my experience to make someone feel different. There were a lot of things that, I th- and I've said this a million times, I think the universe gave me the baby that I could handle. Like I truly believe that. I think that. I wish I could say the same. <laughs> the universe gave me a baby that was <laughs> I was well equipped not to handle. Anyway, so I just felt that I could do it. 
that it would be okay. I always felt like it would be okay. The other thing that really surprised me was like, I'm not an, an affectionate person at all. I wasn't shown a lot of like physical affection as a young person. Yeah, you get weirded out when people touch you. Not a big toucher. I'm a t- oh, I'm not a huge toucher, but I touch sometimes. Don't like hugs. Yeah, hate them. You hate I them. Sp- like vividly remember as a child or as a teenager, like, you know, your girlfriends like hold hands with you and stuff. And in my head, I'm like counting to 10 and being like, hey, that's probably enough time. Like maybe I'll just let go now. Yeah. Like just feeling uncomfortable. I like, get uncomfortable with that sort of thing as well. Or like linking arms. Oh, linking arms is fine. But with hands, I'm like, ew, they get clammy. They do get clammy. But like linking arms or just like someone having their arm around me, I like stiffen up. Mm. But with Rue, like. Two, three, four, okay. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's okay. Slither away. <laughs> Slither, slither, slither. But with Rue, like, I'm so affectionate. Too yeah. much. Like I said to Charlie, do you think it's too much? And he's like, no. There, you cannot overlove your baby. But, yeah, it's just that really surprised me. Like, I didn't think that I would have that, like, shift in me about personal. And, and it's changed not only just with her, it's changed with other people. Like, I'm now very much more okay with kind of, personal touch and affection and things like that, physical affection. Would you like to sit on my lap? That's a little far for me. <laughs> I thought we'd reach the stage in our friendship. We do talk on the phone while we're pooping. <laughs> Kelly! You will that not sit on my lap. That was in the cone fact about us when I went to tell other people. Well. It's out there now. But, yeah, I think just really feeling like I could do it and I think it's because I really wanted to. Mm. And I knew – thing is it's like I've had a hard life yeah I've had a really hard life and like by comparison it's probably a little easier (laughs) raising a baby I've found that's actually such a good point when you've had a tough life and a tough upbringing well you're like oh this baby can throw anything at me and I'll be fine that's how I felt and look whereas me privileged little brat that I am I'm like oh life's so hard like yeah Exactly. I'm like loving it. I've got like a family unit and this thing. Like I think for me it, it's not the hardest thing I've ever done. Oh. I think you are the only person I've ever met that has said that. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying it is hard. But it's not the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing, Key. I think thank that you. you are incredible and I think that if you have your own story of estrangement, please hit Key up on Insta. Flutter yes. inbox with your own tales of misfortune basically because no I'm just Key has always talked about wanting to do like a standalone pod series about being estranged like called estranged and I'm like you have to do it I would slide in with your stories like yeah yeah if you have one and you'd like to share like it may not even be in pod form it may even just be written written form for now but I'm really keen to to just kind of highlight estrangement because how what it's healing like. for people to be able to feel seen yeah. when they've gone through something like that to be able to google and to see other people's stories mm. come up or listen to other people's stories i think that that gives people power and sometimes can help in someone you know making a decision that's going to benefit them or or not moving on to me i'm going to sound like the biggest winger after all this wind away okay obviously i have parents but yes. I'm so jealous of people with like parents locally, like around them. Oh, yeah. I get when people sort of say, oh, you know, do you ever get like down in the dumps or like envious of things? I'm like, yes. When people have parents and some people even have in-laws as well, just around the corner. Yeah. I'm like, I get filthy with jealousy. And it's so like, it's such an unattractive quality of me, but like I also don't have much tolerance for people whinging when they do have heaps of help because I was in an (laughs) elevator a few weeks ago and I was like, I saw an acquaintance and I was like, oh, how are you going? And she had two kids and she was like whinging about the juggle. And then she was like, yeah, our in-laws can only take them two days a week and my parents have got the other two days. No, my in-laws can only take them one day a week. My parents have got them two days a week. And I'm like, sorry. Can't relate. Yeah. Cannot relate. And how entitled are you to think that your parents and your partner's parents should be taking on the children that you chose to have several days a week? I think it's hard though when – because we – are all like it takes a village, it takes a village. So there's no village though. But maybe that's just something that people say. 
Well, it's because they don't have any comparison. They've always had that level of yeah. help from their family. So when that decreases, they feel that. Whereas we are starting at zero. Literally, like, so to put it, I have parents. <laughs> they love me. They must be nice. Love Lenny. <laughs> oh my God. I just, that sounded so bad. No, I, just, I mean, like, they want to be involved. But you know that I have a good humor she about must. this stuff. It's so fine. do I. But they live interstate. They're recently retired and they're living their best lives, basically. So they go on several overseas trips a year. Yes. They don't particularly like Sydney. So they try to come down as little as possible. Like, they're great, but they're not like, oh, we're coming down every week or whatever. And obviously they don't live around the corner. And, well, unfortunately Luke's father has passed away over the past couple of months and his mother's in Queensland and not really involved. So we don't have people that we can just be like, oh, my God, this kid is driving me up the wall. I need someone to come over and take – like I genuinely have considered putting like a, a grandparent call out on Instagram before like because I've got so many beautiful women in their 50s and above that I talk to on Instagram. I'm like, can one of you just be my like temporary – like not temporary but like an adopted You know, that's kind of a thing. Like there's this thing, one of the uh, girls in my mother's group, she's an expat and you can, and she did this service where like a pseudo mum comes once a week and they like, just to like talk and be that mother figure for That's what I want. Isn't that beautiful? I'll put the link to to that service in the show notes. That's what I want. I'm very, I'm not self-sufficient. I I like to be taken care of. Yeah. So I would love someone, like when people bitch about their overbearing mothers-in-laws, I'm like, (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) Give me an overbearing mother-in-law because my mum always tells stories about how overbearing my nanny was. That's one of the reasons why my parents moved out of Sydney because my mum wasn't coping with how overbearing my grandma was. So my dad's mum, who I'm really close to. And mum would be Wait, like, n- nanny? Nanny. Shut up. That's so funny. Crazy psycho, apparently. Like, really, like, you, the the mother-in-law that you write stories about, apparently. Stop. But I'm like, oh, mum, you're such a whinger. Because mum will be like, oh, Cheryl would just turn up and say, comment on the messiness of the linen cupboard and just turn up out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, oh that would be heaven. <laughs> sounds sounds, sounds dreamy. so good. Like, please just turn up, clean my linen closet, cook for me, take the baby for a walk so I can have a rest. Like, Critique I my parenting. Love, yeah, critique. Oh, do it. Don't care. <laughs> I'm not sensitive, though. My mom's quite sensitive. Yeah. Like, I would froth on an overbearing mother-in-law. And whenever people have really great relationships with their mother-in-laws, I try to adopt it because I'm like, like, you know, one of my best friends, her mother-in-law has cooked me vegetarian food before because I commented on it once and she's a really good mother-in-law and will be like, oh, I better make some of this soup for Kel. That's so cute. Like, just, oh, I want that. I know. So jealous. So that's what I get really jealous about. And we've got our shitter coming on because I think that it's not really talked about enough and probably because you don't want to come across as entitled, but often – a lot of people are a little bit disappointed with how involved their parents and in-laws are or family in general. That was a really good segue into our lovely shitter, L. That segue was amazing. So Elle is a dear friend of mine that I mentioned at the top of the show. We met in, I think, 2010. When they we... lived together in New York, baby. Yeah, girls. And um, since then, we've both moved home. She now lives in Christchurch in New Zealand where she got her law degree and she met Dave, her now husband, and father of her 18-month-old twins, a little girl, Revy, and a little boy, Rue. Oh, I love that. I little Rue. Strudel twins. And she launched a wildly successful business called Well Club and she's just killing it. You know when you see your friends just like slaying hard and yes. you're just so proud, like that's my friend, like my that's cousin. my pal, yeah. Was like, oh, you're friends with Elle? And I'm like, yeah, I am. She's pretty cool. We used to live together back in the day. Yeah. When we were really poor and not a sick, well, she's really successful, but I'm a little bit successful. There we go. Anyway, without further ado, here is Elle. Well, welcome, Elle. We are so excited to have you on this episode. How is life as a twin mum? Oh, it's busy. I'm so excited to be here chatting with you guys, though. Thank you for having me on your potty. Of course. Well, we thought we might start where kind of we always want to start. Just give us a little TLDR of your birth story so we can kind of get an idea of how you burst into motherhood. Sure. 
I am one of those very fortunate twin mums because when you find out that you're pregnant with twins, you're automatically lumped into the class of high-risk pregnancy. And it's kind of just like bad news after bad news after bad news. And one of the things that they break to you quite early on, at least my experience, was that it's highly unlikely you'll have a vaginal delivery. It's likely they'll come really early. It's likely they're going to go to NICU, all sorts of stuff. So from like 24 weeks, my hospital bags were packed and I was like waiting any moment to go into labor. No one thought I was going to make it to my due date, but I did. The due date came, the due date went. And that next day, I, oh, sorry, on my due date, because they didn't come, I went to the hospital and I was induced. The induction lasted 24 hours and no babies. They just refused to come out, which again. Stubborn little 20s. They were. They wanted to stay in there. And it was hard for them to keep a reading on both of them. So the my OB was a bit concerned with one of the twins. So she recommended that after the 24-hour induction, she was like, I'm going to go away and research and see if there's anything to suggest we should keep going with this. She came back and she was like, I think the risks just outweigh the reward. Let's go and have a c-section so I burst into tears because I think I was just like you know the adrenaline everything and I felt like I'd made it this far and I hadn't gone to that final step my husband was like you've you've made it to your due date that's that's incredible in itself and he like kind of snapped me back into reality about how cool it was so then I was able to actually enjoy the process of like walking into the operating theater and doing all of that so the twins came out um our little girl she was born first Revy and uh, her brother Rue he was our second twin um but when Rue came out he wasn't breathing they didn't tell me that I heard a little scream and then they, he was rushed off Revy was put on my chest and they worked on Rue for 30 minutes but because I'd been prepared that Niku was like a highly likely scenario when I made it into recovery and I asked my husband, I was like, where's, where's Rue? He said, oh, they're just going to work on him for a bit, but they were able to get him breathing within the time period they allow. So he came into recovery with me. So I had both babies feeding on me, one each side. It was the craziest thing. I remember watching that because you and Dave like so generously shared kind of like right up to the lead up. And then I watched obviously your birth story and it was just so beautiful like just shout out to Dave how awesome is he in that moment to know exactly what to say oh it's like it's so crazy it's like talking to you is so weird about this and like in person because of our previous life like being friends before all of this and going through bad relationships and that kind of thing like you've coached me through them and so yeah you know the losers and like some of them like the mean (laughs) guys so it's such a I'm very very fortunate to have such a supportive husband there was a time when I know that I was on your socials and you you were really honest and open kind of about feelings of disappointment that you'd had that your family hadn't been as helpful or or as involved as you had thought that they might have been I kind of wanted to get an idea of like when back when you were pregnant and you were imagining you know life as a twin mom and your family like what did you think that your family's role was going to be and how involved did you think that they were going to be I don't even know where I got this kind of idea in my brain. I think it's just maybe it's like the society sort of expectations were kind of raised with. But I'm pretty sure if I think back, it was friends of mine, vague memories of friends of mine who had already had children. And when they gave birth and came home, their mom or their mother-in-law, some kind of, you know, figure would be there just kind of helping them and being there to kind of like... I don't know, help with night feeds and like meals and taking care of them. And, you know, that sounds very luxurious. So I think I had some sort of expectation around that kind of involvement, even though, to be honest, there wasn't really any conversations when I was pregnant about that happening. Yeah. I just kind of expected that would be what would happen support there. Yeah, because it is, it is kind of the dream, the pipe dream that we're sold. And so, Obviously, you have the barbs. When did the feelings kind of come up? And I suppose you kind of realized that you were a bit disappointed in how things were panning out. The story goes like Dave and I were in the hospital with the twins, but we did end up leaving. I think we were in the hospital for two days, something like that, before we left. And we went home that day and um, we organized to see 
my parents, Dave's mum, who lives in Christchurch as well, where we live, all in kind of the one day. So we're fresh. I'm fresh out of the hospital. And my son, um, had he, Rue, he had already started cluster feeding. So he'd been, I'd been up that whole night with him. And it was just an intense experience seeing like back to back to back family, but also really special because you're so proud of these little bundles of joy. And I said to my mum, I asked her, I was like, would you like to stay tonight and, you know, maybe help a bit? And she was sort of a little bit surprised when I asked her, I remember, and I was kind of a bit taken aback by that. And she said, sure. And Dave and I had this kind of master plan that if there were three of us and two babies, we would outnumber the babies. And so (laughs) there would always be, at least he could get like a break, you know, so they could, we could all kind of tag team it. Um, cause I was pumping as well. So we were like, we had this master plan that, you know, cause they were like on every three hours, it'd be like, okay, this time it'll be Dave and my mum, then it'll be me and my mum, then it'll be me and Dave. So we had this crazy kind of thing. And mum was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back later. So she came back that night and she was down like, yeah. So she went to sleep and I said, okay, I'll wake you up for like the first feed or whatever. That first night, the first night being home with the twins, I was just, my hormones were something else. I was just an absolute crazy person. Everything set me off and I was crying and I just was like, yeah, just all over the place. And then Revy, she woke up like out of, she'd been just like still, I think, adjusting to the fact that she was a born baby now. She'd been just kind of blobbing and hadn't really been doing much but she decided that it was time to cluster feed and cry and she'd been crying for like an hour something like a long time before I finally was like okay I'm gonna go get mum because I could feel myself like I just I myself was then crying and it was just not good so I went into mum's room where she was sleeping in our spare room and I opened the door and it was, I don't even know what time, you know, some stupid time in the morning, gave her a fright. She woke up. She was kind of panicking. Revy was screaming. It was all going. I was crying. Revy was crying. Mum came out into the lounge where I'd kind of made like my HQ with all the baby feeding stuff and paraphernalia and pumping things and nappies and all that stuff. And I, mum, I gave Revy to my mum and my mum said to me can you hold her for a second and I looked at her and she looked really funny like something was up next thing I know I'm grabbing Revy mum passes out and collapses on the floor just (sighs) completely is gone like gone then she comes to I'm like oh my god I'm crying Revy's crying mum's passed out that's where we're at now first night home from the hospital I got mum up off of, I put Revy down in like the little baby nest that I had there. Revy's there, still crying, whatever. Get mum onto the couch. I'm like, mum, are you okay? Mum's like, yes, I need to lie down. I don't feel good. I feel sick. I just like am not, because I'm all, like we're both also C-section mums and mm-hmm. you, are, so you're three days postpartum. Yeah. I still had my catheter in at three days postpartum. I mean, mine was a bit different, but you're like dealing with twins. You're already at home. The hospital's kicked you out. I didn't mm-hmm. even know that was legal. Mm-hmm. And you're picking up your mum off the floor, mm-hmm. like physically yeah. amongst anything else. You must have just been like in agony. I was honestly pain. What I learned with my boob job was you got to stay on top of your pain medicine. <laughs> you can't wait until it's gone. You've got to like set a timer and be taking it on time. So thankfully I, I knew that. And I was taking it, but definitely everything hurt. But again, it was like, I didn't matter. And that's sort of where, like, I wasn't even thinking about me because I was so overwhelmed with, I have two babies. I've never done this before. And now my mum's collapsed. So yeah, it was very overwhelming. And that's our first night home. First night home. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. <laughs> so I, I ran. Wait, was yeah. she okay? She was okay. I actually, I should have said, I have never shared this story publicly until now. But I mean, I, yeah, anyway, so you guys are hearing it. So it's, it is quite like a crazy story. I, so mum, <laughs> mum was fine. Well, she wasn't fine. She wasn't feeling good. Like something was up. She was just, I don't know. So I went into, I got, went into my bedroom where my husband was sleeping. And I was like, Dave, Dave, you've got to wake up. Mum's passed out. He's like, what? 
he gets up, he comes out, we are like. Sorry, I just, I'm like a bit of a stickler for details. How big is your house? Oh, it's. I don't understand how all these people are sleeping with a screaming baby here. Oh, I mean, we had, we have white noise machines galore, so that might help with the. Yeah, sound, yeah. but it's not like yeah, a massive true, house. True. Mm. Yeah. So Dave wakes up, and to be fair with to Dave, he can sleep through so much. I don't know how, but yeah, <laughs> he has proved that over the course of the last eighteen months, he can sleep through. He gets up, comes out to the lounge. We make a determination. We don't need to call an ambulance. It's not that bad, but Mum needs to go because now we have essentially three babies you know she's got to go let's yeah. get her out <laughs> like, of here <laughs> if you're not helping you got to go because I can't I honestly can't I can't look after you now because Rue's going to be the next one up and then we'll have it'll be all go so we call my dad and my dad is like so I don't know whatever time this is in the morning 2 30 something like that he comes over gets mum and takes her I was just really shocked by this whole experience because it just was not at all what I expected. And when mum had been at our house before I sent her to bed, she didn't like, she didn't really know what to do. You know, like she wasn't like picking up the babies just kind of instinctively to like hold them or like, I think, yeah, it, she just, I, I think the whole thing was just kind of a bit of a shock to her too. And then she just got mm. really overwhelmed and collapsed. But that was the start, the very, very first night home. And the next day, I don't know if I even heard from mum, that kind of thing, but Dave and I just had to like kick into gear because we were on a three hour schedule where, you know, yeah. they're up. And then for me as well, they were cluster feeding throughout the night. So I was up all night long and then just doing these three hour shifts after that. So I was literally just running on adrenaline, but I started to get Instagram messages pretty quickly from people being like, where is everyone? Where's your family? Where's this? Like, why aren't they there helping you? People were really messaging you about it and calling it out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think about that part of it. Not only that, though, the actual nerve of people to be like, you're not being honest and upfront about all the support you have. (laughs) (gasps) Little did they know. I'm like, Like, are you joking? And not everybody, I, as this was all going on in, in, in my life as well, we were having difficulties with my husband's side of the family too. So we didn't have support on either side and it was literally just the two of us. And the way in which we made it work was we bought pre-prepared meals that were delivered to our house. So that way we had food. Yeah. Because we weren't grocery Genius. shopping, we weren't doing anything like that. We just had to, you know, strategize that way and survive. Survive. Surviving. Yeah. But I was also trying to document it because naturally that's what I do and have always done with my life is document stages and chapters I'm in. And it's pretty easy for me to do it because it's really just an instinct to set up a camera, let it go, and then later I can, you know edit it and re-look at that footage so it's quite funny that I was like recording it and I was still sharing things on Instagram like you know feeding issues that kind of thing trying to bring people along on the journey but people being like it's just you and Dave there how's that happening where is everyone why are you hiding them and I wasn't but yeah I my family just was not involved is the answer in the early in the early stages I think people would have been confused because especially with twins you would have a semblance of understanding of how hard things are going to be like it's hard enough with one newborn like let alone with two newborns and for for first-time parents so people were probably just like super confused for me I remember it would it would really trigger me when somebody who had had a baby around the same time described how, you know, their mum stayed with them for two weeks and cooked all their meals Mm. and that kind of thing. Like it would really hurt to hear that because I felt really let down and really disappointed because I had family in my city, but they just weren't there. And Dave and I would go on walks with the twins. Well, I think it was after two weeks I got the all clear that I was able to go for short walks around the block and that kind of thing. So it was from that point on I remember the two of us would like, when we would walk, we would kind of talk about it and 
vent about you know the questions we were getting I was getting every day about where everyone was and that kind of thing and being like you know just get them around to like do laundry that kind of thing I'm like they're not offering so and I'm not hearing from them so yeah I don't know but we would we would talk about it and be like why do people think that just because we look like we're doing okay maybe or they think we're doing okay why are they thinking that like obviously two newborns it's hard oh yeah Yeah. and also what what are you meant to do are you meant to fall to pieces because you don't have the support like no no you just have to figure it out like Mm. and that's what you did like you guys are incredibly strong and I think that that's why we really wanted to talk about this because I think that a lot of people actually go through this and they have this idea because when you are pregnant everyone is obsessed with you Mm. right you can do every everything pretty much you can do but you've got a baby then you're like got this precious cargo and like everyone's excited because it's like a first grandchild potentially for both Mm -hmm. families or one family and you know if you're a girl like if you're the only girl in your family people like are so excited for you and then the baby comes and it's like gotta go by this is like when it gets serious and Mm. people kind of also, like parents haven't parented little, little babies in so long. So I think what you said about your mum being kind of a bit shell-shocked when the twins arrived mm. is really relatable. Like it was obviously really overwhelming for her as well. I think there honestly needs to be kind of like an antenatal but for grandparents. Do you know what I mean? Like there's probably yes. a gap in the market for that because part of our antenatal class it almost set us up for failure thinking that we would have support because one of the topics covered one week was how to set boundaries with your guests and, you know, how to yeah. write a list on the fridge of jobs that people can do when they come over. It's like, well, we didn't have that. We did get support from some of my good friends that live here in Christchurch. They would drop off like a care package that contained like a coffee or like some lollies and that kind of thing, like, and leave it at the door. And we had one friend, her and her husband came over and they like folded some laundry for us and like saw the babies. And that was so nice. So nice. But I'm like, why are my parents not doing this? (laughs) Where are they? But as you said, it's literally been, I'm 30, I was 34, I think when I gave birth or 33, 33. So 33 years, and my sister's 18 months younger than me. So they haven't been around babies since then. It's a long time. So did communication really break down during those early weeks between you and your family? How did it start back up again? Did you sit down to kind of have a conversation to address everything? I was still communicating. I was still like texting my mom, my sister, sending updates, that kind of thing, and just kind of dealing with it privately. Dave and I made the decision. It was a very purposeful decision for us to get pregnant. We conceived the twins naturally, but we really wanted to start a family. So I was like, we chose this. This is our burden to bear. We have to make it work. And we made it work, the two of us. Another thing that I got a lot of criticism for was the fact that Dave, we had, so with COVID, all that stuff, we had organized with his work. He had like worked through holidays, accrued leave, that he was able to take off of work eight weeks in total, which is a long time to be off of work. And people were really judgmental about that. But I'm also self-employed. So I had prepared stupidly in my head I was like I'll only need six weeks after six weeks it'll be fine things will be in like a great routine I can get back into work so I was having to fit in work around things as well but it got to eight weeks and I remember at eight weeks I was like about to hit breaking point because it was just so much so I sent a message to my sister text my sister and I was like I need I need some help I need some help. Like you need to come around here and literally just unload the dishwasher. I need you to put a load of washing on. Cause yeah, as Kelly said, like I'm recovering from a C-section. We're still, I'm still doing all these things and it was mm. painful. And I, I said, I need you to tell mum and dad to do that. So my sister reached out to mum and dad and like talked to them. Was like, we're going to go around. We're going to go around to Alan Dave's and we're going to, going to get stuck in and do things. And it was a learning, like a learning experience for them because from my, sis- from my sister's perspective, when I spoke to her and also talked to my parents, it was like, they thought we were coping and doing great and things looked good and they didn't want to offer or make it seem like they wanted to like impose or anything. 
And in my mm-hmm. head, I'm like, why aren't you, you know, just offering help? So there was this breakdown of communication there. And it wasn't until I said, I need help. And they all did it together to learn. Because what I think happened that night with my mum was she was thrown in the deep end, like I was thrown in the deep end. And I was looking to her for guidance, but she couldn't remember what she was doing at that time either. So it was like the blind leading the blind. (laughs) It all just collapsed, you know? Um, So my parents started then, and my sister started coming over. My sister literally Googled. She was like, what do you do with like a family member who's had a baby? Like what kind of support do you do? And she found information on Google and that's what she referred to. It was stuff like you unload the dishwasher. If you don't know where something goes, leave it on the bench for them because then that way they can put it away. So they, I love that. She did that. And that was really helpful. So we started getting little bits of support and I learned as well. I needed to be vocal and communicating my expectations. I actually wrote my parents as well, a really big email. It was a huge email and I laid it all out there. And I've never been this honest with them before with, you know, saying like all the things that I said about how appreciative obviously I was of everything they've done for me in my life by providing, you know, my education, all that kind of stuff, like absolutely. But I was explaining to them where the stage in our life now where we could really use their support and they're both retired. So I know that they have other commitments, but it's not like they're, you know, got to be at a job from nine to five kind of thing. Like we could communicate about if a time each week could work for them to come and help with some things. Yeah. And I didn't want them to feel used either. Like I'm just using them for these things. Mm-hmm. But I spoke to them kind of like heart to heart. My parents also had a business when I was growing up. So my dad and my mum know what it's like to be self-employed. My dad and my mum both openly spoke to me while we were growing up about how they didn't have support from their parents with, you know, the care for us. It like all fell to them and how that was like difficult at times. So I tried to find ways to make it relevant to them. And I sent that email, had like a heart attack thinking it would be terrible. And Then I saw my dad calling me and my heart like stopped, picked up the phone, like expecting kind of like a lashing maybe, like them being like, you're so ungrateful, that kind of thing. And my dad was just so open. My mum and dad were on the phone and they were so open and so receptive to it. So I'm so glad that they, you know, took that, what I said to them so openly and wanted to communicate about it and find a way to improve. So it would, they could help and it could all work better. It's such a good lesson, actually. Like sometimes we just need to ask and voice how we feel about things because it's a the reminder that people just aren't mind readers. And even though we think, oh, I'd really love some help with this or why is that person not offering to do this? Sometimes we have to ask because maybe you are just outwardly appearing like you've really got your shit together, but inside you're drowning mm-hmm. and not coping with things. And like, why is no one helping me? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's so much chat around like, you know, like that kind of discourse around like parents critiquing the parenting styles of their kids. Like, you know, there's kind of that old, Mm. that thing that you see in TV shows and things like that. And so I feel like that even plays into it. Like they also don't want to overstep in Mm. any way and make you like start to question your capabilities as a parent. So the fact that like I think this would happen to so many people, it's just that miscommunication, not setting the expectations before it happens or even in the thick of it and creating new boundaries for the new phase of life. Absolutely, because it's like it's a new chapter for you. Like you're emerging into this new kind of chapter and it changes your relationships with the people around you, right? Like your partner, things aren't the same. Like they're not exactly the same as they were when it was just the two of you anymore. Same with friends. Like you grow closer to other friends, you grow away from other friends, like things just kind of flowing at that time. So it makes sense for that also to be true with family members as well. The relationship where it's at now is so good. And I'm so grateful that my parents were so open to being taught, but I did have to do a lot of like reteaching them things, you know, like what to do when this kind of thing happens, like in terms of like monitoring cues of 
babies and toddlers and all that kind of stuff. So if someone out there does have parents who would be open to that and you can kind of, you know, teach them, that can be really helpful as well to get to the point where then they're kind of, they know what they're doing without you having to guide them at all. So, yeah. I honestly think you're onto something with that antenatal class for grandparents. I think that that is genius. And like even a toddler one, like I feel like this should be a class at every stage for the grandparents because it's hard for us, but we're immersed in it 24-7 and then they come over, you know, two hours a week Mm -hmm. and they're just like, fuck, what was I doing last week again? (laughs) Exactly. It's really hard for them. And I did try to, I did try to remind myself of that. Like this has got to be really difficult for you because you have not had to deal with little kids or babies, any of that stuff. So everyone's kind of learning all together and it is really stressful for everyone so I tried to just remind myself of that well we have loved talking to you so much I think your story is really going to resonate with a lot of people and also hopefully help a lot of new mums that are listening or mums to be just to kind of yeah ask Ask your family have that conversation and get everyone on the same page That is all we have for today. I hate it when people say that's all we have time for because obviously we could just yabber on forever. But nobody wants to listen to hours and hours of a podcast. Well, men do. (laughs) I sometimes do, but I listen to it in like parts. In chunks. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, next week on the pod, we are going to be chatting about friendship. I'll chat more about my dream mother's group experience. And my non-existent one. Bum, bum. We also have some great tips for making friends as an adult. And Kel is going to open up on about how losing one of her best friends has impacted her entry into motherhood. But until then, we can't tell you how much it means to us that you are back for season two of Eat, Sleep, Shit, Repeat. We're so happy to be back in your ears where we belong. And if you loved it... Show us a little bit of love and support by leaving a review on Apple and Spotify. It'll help us get our show out there and keep food on the table for room. (laughs) And make sure you share the pod on your socials. Let us know what you think and what you want to hear. You can tag us at KeyReese and at Kelly underscore McCarran and at ASSR.pod. This episode was produced by myself, Key Reese, and the lovely Kelly McCarran with audio production by Claudia Coy. Bye. Bye. Bye.